G'day, I'm Warwick Thornton, the writer-director of Samson and Delilah, and you're listening to 3CR. And welcome to The Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, shining a light on the powers of monopoly and our right to a place on this earth at a reasonable price, not being held to extortion. And today we're looking at the commons reborn and how over the last decade we've been watching this evolution of the commons movement. It's really ramped up. And of course, with land, the earth as a gift to all, the ultimate in commons type understanding, there is much to be excited about those reimagining a world where the bounty of the earth is shared more equitably. So we're going to have a look at uh, the city as a commons itself. And there's lots of thinking that's circled around this show from how to redevelop neglected brownfields, start community enterprises to create jobs in the local neighbourhood, to rethink food production through urban farming, uh, to address increased vacancy in terms of shops and industrial heritage, and of course the need for open data to counter Big Brother. So that's what we're going to look at uh, with today's guest, Dr. Jose Ramos. So let's shift on over to the interview. We're talking with Dr. Jose Ramos from Victoria University. He's an advocate for the Commons and the incredible social innovation that's coming through in fields such as the peer-to-peer network. So, Jose, great to have you back on the show. So, the Commons movement is enjoying a renewed sense of impetus. There's a lot happening on the technological front. What's exciting you at the moment, Jose Ramos, in this evolving field? Uh, Yeah, well, there's a number of developments. I mean, the first thing is that we started with a global knowledge commons, you know, in the turn of the century with things like Wikipedia and uh, the Creative Commons shift and licensing that Lawrence Lessig brought about. And um, I think that Lawrence Lessig's innovation around uh, Creative Commons is really important in popularizing and kind of reintroducing the idea of a commons, at least at, uh, in terms of digital uh, ownership. So we've developed this kind of global knowledge commons. But now that's shifting into uh, design commons, where you actually have the designs of things like 3D printed objects, uh, machinery, drugs, you name it, that are ready to go. And then so there's this process that I like to term cosmolocalization, which essentially means that there's a global knowledge design commons, which is empowering localized productivity production. And so that connects with the idea of circular economies and industrial ecologies closing the loop on resource waste, uh, looking for ways in which um, different social actors and enterprises at a city level are able to collaborate to uh, create new productive potentials and to uh, create radical social sustainability breakthroughs. So that's that's one of those uh, aspects. The other aspect, I think, is that cities are becoming uh, really powerful locales of creativity. And the idea of the city as a commons has come to the forefront over the last few years. Um, This includes everything from uh, how we empower uh, citizens to share with each other, because cities have uh, 
people with lots of resources. A lot of them are are, are being wasted or redundant. And, and there's a lot of knowledge in cities. There's a lot of expertise in cities. So cities are a perfect place to build sharing ecosystems uh, where people can uh, exchange value in creative ways. Those are just two of those examples, I guess, uh, of, of, of some of those exciting things that are happening. This is a maturity of the commons movement, if you like. And while some of this was done on impulse, would it be fair to say that theory is catching up to practice and what we're seeing online is a lot more theoretical analysis of how people can share using these technological tools and with this concern of these platform monopolies evolving, there's a lot more discussion about how we can equitably share the fruits of our online community. One of the the key terms that Michelle Bowens has innovated is the notion of netarchical capital. So the idea that you have capitalist enterprises, but they're really based on platform monopolies. They're companies like Google or Facebook or Airbnb or Uber or LinkedIn. And all they do is provide the platform. And and I shouldn't say all they do, because that, that, that sounds like I'm minimizing what they do. What they do is incredibly important. They bring a community together they allow for an ecosystem of exchange. The problem is that the value that they produce, they take a little bit of it, and that ends up back in Palo Alto, paying for somebody's uh, golf club membership. So uh, what we really want is the value of people's exchanges to be reinvested in the same communities that are producing that value. And so there's this really important notion that, that I think you, you know basically you're talking about uh, called platform cooperativism. And platform cooperativism essentially points towards the need to develop platforms that have um, truly sort of um, value reciprocating processes and principles behind them so that, you know, let's say we are using uh, ride-sharing or kind of like a peer-to-peer taxi services, but that the value of that is being reinvested in the community and in the users. Uh, it's not simply being extracted out. That elusive formula of how we can share these, uh, these rents, if you like, amongst participants, and that's something Janelle Orsi and many online intellectuals have been pursuing what have you deciphered as the traction forward in terms of that magic formula the thing is that the way that the capitalist system has been configured is that it's a bit like a horse race so imagine you got a you got a bunch of horses that that start off in a horse race uh with their jockeys you know sort of pushing their horses forward and then halfway through the race a winner looks like he's emerging. Well, imagine if you could then put more weight on all the other horses and add speed to the horse that's already winning. So what happens within the, the system that we've developed is that once you have a, a winner emerging, uh, the capital can flow into that enterprise and really, really boost it up. So, you know, you can have these uh, sort of ridiculous IPOs now that will boost the company by, you know, Five to ten to even forty billion dollars in the case of Facebook, and that means that they're really able to extend themselves, buy out a lot of their competitors, and they're able to, to, to claim the field. Really, it becomes kind of like a um, 
uh, as you say, it becomes a sort of a monopoly. A monopoly by virtue of everybody wants to be on that network. You know, that's the network where the community is. So, uh, so there is a there is a natural monopolistic dynamic built into the network form that I think we have yet to come to terms with. And and I don't think I'm giving it analytic or or theoretical clarity enough here. But but a lot of people have pointed to that. And then there's another, and then the tendency within our capitalistic processes is also to essentially um, back the horse halfway through the race and help them to win by double than what they would have already won by. Um, so, uh, and that's that's the issue of scale that uh, the capitalist system as we have it um, scales beautifully, but it also scales to the detriment of any other competitor. And 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 it, and it scales in a mon- uh, leaning towards a monopolistic um, direction. Therefore, we really have to deal with the issue of scale. We have to deal with the issue of antitrust legislation within these, uh, and we have to be able to create. I, I guess we I guess we have to create at the social policy level policies that are going to squarely address these tendencies and keep the field open. But we also need, I think critically, we need to develop new models that allow for uh, people to develop enterprises that are cooperatively owned and that can reinvest in the communities and that can be successful at a smaller scale. You know, if we can't, if we can't allow for, uh, for cooperative online enterprises at a small scale, then we're really hurting ourselves. So we, we really have to look critically about how we've created the social arrangements in a way that favor the big over the small uh, in such a radical way. And we need that diversity. That diversity is going to keep us healthy over a very long period of time. So the commons, the peer-to-peer type movement is helping shine a light on these inequities primarily because many of those people are heavily involved in technological evolution. They're coders, uh, webmasters, they're social media experts. They're also concerned about the overriding pressures of globalization on a commodified earth. And you've launched a public policy paper call-out entitled From Smart Cities to Smart Citizens. City is a commons. When you look at the concern about climate change, many people fear that because we don't have carbon taxes in place, we're not doing enough, it's, you know, end times, all of these negative stories. But what I love about this movement is that there's so much positivity coming through and you've put a call out to academics to summarise their core proposition for this city as a commons. Yeah, I... I put the call out to anyone, really. I, I, I didn't want to exclude anyone, and, and there's a lot of public advocates that are not in academia who are doing this important work. As a matter of fact, I think this is more of a public advocacy movement than it is an intellectual movement, because if you go into the academy, I think you'd, you'd, you'd have a harder time finding um, things that are explicitly about the commons. So the energy's coming. We've got a lot of proposals in. We've got, you know, 30... 30 different contributions that have come forth. There's, it's really exciting. And, and the interesting thing about the commons is that they're multifaceted. You really have to have a diverse lens in order to capture the complexity of it. And, and, and just taking a little step back, 
when we talk about a commons, there's many definitions of a commons. So it's really easy to get tripped up. But the way that I like to simplistically put it is that the commons are what we all mutually depend on, what we cannot live without. Uh, so that means that, for example, we, we all need a safe climate. A safe climate is a commons, and so we all have a responsibility to protect a safe climate. We all need healthy drinking water, and so uh, maintaining a healthy drinking water supply is a commons. Now, within the neoliberal paradigm, it's not uh, treated as a commons. It's treated as a, a commodity which can be privatized. So the commons discourse and the way that commons are framed is very much um, antithetical to the way that uh, neoliberalism uh, posits everything as commodifiable and, 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 and which can be privatized. But going back to the city as commons concept, then, and if we take that idea that a commons is that which we all mutually depend on for, for our mutual well-being, then there's a lot of diversity in there. For example, um, we all depend on uh, a city's uh, energy supply. And so how do we make an energy supply for a city um, support everyone instead of just supporting the interests of particular commercial interests? Or we have one contribution coming in on cycling. And so what is cycling's role in creating a city as a commons? If a city is completely made unlivable by horrific traffic, traffic accidents, and pollution, then everybody loses in that equation. So, and, and if you go to cities like Dhaka and Bangladesh, you, you know, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Just the unlivability of, of a place that doesn't manage its transport well. So I think cycling has a very important role to play in commoning a city. Then you have other things like empowering people to shape their streets. And so there's the important idea of placemaking that's been developed over the years. So there's many, many diverse aspects. One of the distinctions that is made within the, the commons movement is that there is a governance model that goes beyond the state and goes beyond a business model. So everything doesn't have to be either or, either governed by a municipal region or by a state agency. Or it doesn't have to be completely owned and operated by a private business. There's this space that is between or beyond, however you want to define it, market and state, where citizens can come together and exercise their ability to collaborate, to govern, and to create. And so this is very much about citizen-level empowerment, about creating engaged politically, economically, and culturally engaged people uh, that are uh, shaping their cities in creative and healthy and sustainable ways and are um, empowered and enfranchised in that process. So that's the, sort of the underlying sort of principles or, or, or notions. And, and it's very much about social innovation. There are so many incredible sustainability challenges that the world faces and that cities face. And, and we really need a, a whole new movement of people to come forth and begin to create and shape and reimagine 
their cities in breakthrough ways. And that's what seems to be happening right before our eyes when you look at the co-working, the peri-urbanism, we've got uh, the, the maker's labs, 3D printing, all sorts of plasma generators. There really does seem to be a, a sense of renewal and innovation and much of it is based around working together online, using in a way the online community as a commons and from that uh, people with, with, with similar skills are helping to evolve their thinking faster. And this is just some of the, the, the benefit of the Internet age. As Paul Hawkins uh, wrote, it's the biggest movement the world has ever seen. It's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of projects and NGOs and organizations, and it's millions and millions of people uh, engaged creatively in transforming our world. And I think we, 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 we really need to, to just be part of it, be part of it, engage with it, play our role, find our place in, in the transformation of our world. And that was Dr. Jose Ramos from creaturesofconsciousness.net, creaturesofconsciousness.net. You would have heard him on some of the earliest uh, Renegade Economist shows. He, uh, alongside some other activists and myself, put on the Melbourne Social Forum uh, over a decade ago. So it's great to see how this uh, vision for an alternative future has evolved into this this huge movement. And when you think about the B corporations, the social enterprises, uh, I had a very interesting lunch with someone from the ethical side of superannuation recently and the millions and millions of dollars they're receiving each day. And uh, the the incredible returns they're receiving are really slapping uh, old capital around as uh, people are voting with their feet when it comes to energy, when it comes to uh, their communities, their superannuation, everything. Uh, People are realizing that their dollar is their vote, uh, their time is their vote, and so people are switching off commercial TV and choosing what they want on Netflix. So hopefully that leads to uh, an improved culture and an improved uh, intellect so that we can challenge some of these uh, uh, gigantuan issues that are coming our way when you consider the climate, inequality, uh, demographics, and, of course, robotics. Now, when I returned from my lovely camping uh, festival up on uh, Nariel Creek, uh, up near Koryong, I um, came across an article by Michelle Bowens, who's been on the show before, from the peer-to-peerfoundation.net. So it's p2pfoundation.net. Uh, you heard Jose mention him in the interview, and it's the top 10 peer-to-peer trends of 2015. And this really hit home just how fast uh, uh, the change is happening on the ground. It built upon uh, the uh, the speech I saw at the um, uh, Global Ecotax Conference in Sydney last year by the US Ambassador, who just slammed the audience with all of the positive changes that are coming out of America in terms of renewable energy uh, and, and some of the, the better sides to, to biotech. So there's so much happening. I just want to flick through some of these benefits and, and peer-to-peer evolutions from how communities are working together to move towards uh, this this post 
rent-seeking sort of era, which is how I'd like to term it. And so uh, uh, Bowens goes on to say, look, the number one trend was poor-to-poor, peer-to-peer, the year of self-organized mass migration and trans-migrants. And he's talking there about the use of secret Facebook groups for millions of war and climate refugees to organize themselves in uh, new communities as they tried to find a precious place on this earth that was safe and sound to to um, help their their family their community evolve. Uh, they also he also talked about the further maturation of post corporate entrepreneurial coalitions, and he was particularly inspired by a group called N Spiral out of Wellington, New Zealand. I hope to be visiting them in a month or so's time. So fingers crossed uh, I get an interview organized there. But these guys have set up a whole coalition, a foundation, in fact, of social enterprise type groups. They were computer gamers who wanted to work together. They put the word out. They set up their co-working space, um, became an open co-op. They've got all sorts of um, decision-making tools such as Lumio and they use a, a piece of software called CoBudget where uh, people can help to vote on a sort of a participatory democracy front in terms of the the, the community's um, assets, their, their revenues and what they want to invest those in. So they sound like an exciting group that a lot of people are talking about. So let's hope we can track them down. Uh, the Collaborative Technology Alliance, a digital synergy and the blockchain, making the alternative peer-to-peer infrastructure interoperable. And this is part of this maturity of the commons that uh, these post-corporate alliances like Inspiral um, are working towards where they're, they're trying to make these, these software tools like Lumio and CoBudget um, interoperable. So not only are these commons-based software platforms up and running and really quite slick, CVCRM is the database that uh, our organization uses. highly recommended to you. We've been using it for over two years now, and it is fantastic. Um, but uh, it's this ability amongst the, these commons-type um, platforms to work together now that's starting to evolve. Uh, there's also um, from urban commons to the city as a commons, political commons transitions at the city level. And that's much about what Jose was just talking about there. there there's just so much happening in this front as people realize there's a better way to do things. We can get together either online or in person and make use of all these poorly used resources that are leading to so many speculative profits. Well, Council is luckily listening to us and and helping people um, uh, build up the city. Unfortunately, though, of course, it is those property owners who do make the easy money out of it. But let's see how we can build up this network to really understand the depths of the 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 economic uh, analysis we talk about here on the Renegade Economist. So how about this? Number five, the launch of independent, common-centric civic organisations. Another sign of maturity. Uh, these big city festivals on the commons that are happening through um, Europe and France. There's one called Assemblies of the Commons and, and so forth. So they're getting bigger than just uh, conferences. They're becoming entire coalitions of people working together um, as an umbrella group. And that's certainly another positive sign. 
Uh, number six uh, is blockchain-based open supply chains as important steps towards an open source circular economy. So this is, um, you know, one of the most exciting things is how blockchain is really shaking up the monetary um, monopoly there uh, of uh, fiat fiat currencies. So that, um, yeah, again, within this open source community, they're, they're working together to, to help interchange currencies between various platforms and so forth. There's a lot of detail there I won't go into. But uh, number seven, uh, platform cooperativism, common fair, and the new mutuals for precarious labor. So uh, I haven't read too much on this, but I dare say it builds upon this sort of um, time bank um, elements there where... where, uh, uh, people can work under voluntary labor and be given some sort of a basic income. Um, and of course, uh, in the Netherlands and Finland, there have been quite some movement in this basic income type uh, world. So that's certainly interesting. And eight, the emergence of meta economic networks for ethical value streams. Now, this is a really good one. And so uh, they're talking about, uh, you know, the, this movement um, working towards solving the three systemic crises, as Michelle Bowens co- uh, calls them, uh, caused by the present dominant system. They are working on sustainability, solidarity and openness. The problem being, however, that the three streams are not connected to each other, but even within them, fragmentation reigns. As I was told by Jason Nardi, the community-supported agricultural movement in Italy alone probably has a dozen different ordering systems. So how's that? People are actually donating time. You know, that's the amazing thing about the, this commons movement is that so many coders out there have donated so much time over the years to to building up these platforms. And I'd love people to be able to donate some money, even $5, to some of these plugins we've got on our websites. We really need to do it to support this overall movement. Number nine, as, uh, well, Jose mentioned this term, the cosmo-localization of WikiHouse and other seed forms for a new wave of open platforms for sustainable living and housing. And uh, this WikiHousing, WikiHouse movement uh, is quite something that's um, basically integrating the world's knowledge, the design knowledge Jose was talking about, so that every ethical entrepreneur can start building sustainable housing. So the tiny housing movements building through, well, this is the design principles on how to build your own version of that. Uh, of course, you guys know I've, I've been critical of some of these aspects of, of what I'm discussing here, but they're working in the right uh, direction, trying to get to the depths of why when we have great community development, it, it, it keeps doesn't get that much easier. The, the challenges keep going up, and that's because the land prices, the incentives for property speculators keep pushing uh, prices higher and higher. And number 10 was the initiation of a legal tradition for the commons. So good old David Bollier, one of the leaders on the commons-type um, theoretical movement, uh, has been pushing forward there. So there's a lot to be covered in this space, and Michelle Bowens is putting out uh, all sorts of amazing tweets every every uh, day that uh, is just hitting you with the the exciting 
um, developments that are happening. So listeners of 3CR, please stay positive and look into what's happening in our very community. Melbourne is one of the most livable cities. We do have a burgeoning startup culture. More and more of these global coders are stepping into the Melbourne uh, culture, to the Australian culture. It sounds like to the the Kiwi culture as well, where the uh, president and the prime minister will meet any major um, software developer on the tarmac. Is his his uh, threatened? So. Um, it's, it's about evolving society and doing that in a manner that uh, meets the, the triple bottom line mantra. But can that be done in a way that really challenges the heart of, you know, the apex of this pyramid? And that is the rent seekers who can make money in their sleep out of these incredible monopoly rights. And you just have to think about what they're on to next. And imagine if you woke up and there was a headline saying the world has discovered a one trillion dollar ocean. And he does get something published. He does get something broadcast.